production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. My co-host Mike Davis is here. How's it going, Mike? Going great, bud. Awesome. We got a great guest uh, coming into the show. Jason Schultz is here. Leah is here. And uh, Ward Burton, finally, is coming to the Dale Jr. Download. So it's going to be awesome. Ward's here, so let's get started. I'm anxious to hear his story. You remember when we had Jeff Burton on here? I do. And the whole time we're talking to Jeff, he's telling us Ward stories. That's right. So let's hear it from the man himself. Ward Burton, coming into the Dale Jr. Download. Ward Burton of South Boston, Virginia. Ward, the oldest of the two Burton brothers on the Winston Cup circuit. Off turn four. Ward Burton scores his first Winston Cup win. Ward Burton, who comes to the caution in white flags and wins the Southern 500. Everyone on their feet at Daytona, some 170,000. As South Boston, Virginia's Ward Burton comes to the line, and Ward Burton is going to win the 44th Daytona 500. I can't believe it. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Ward Burton were racing for 12th spot. Now Ward's in the wall. Ward, what happened? I got some really good words for him, but I can't say it on TV. But <laughs> You sent a nice message, though, with the throw. I wish I had something like a shot through the window. <laughs> there he is. Wow. <laughs> Come in here with a lot of energy. Hey, man, how's it hey. going? What are you doing, Ward? Man, I've been traveling to see y'all this morning. <laughs> How long was the trip? Well, it's supposed to be two and a half, but I didn't get a ticket, so it was two fifteen. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you still got it. Yeah. He still knows where the still gas pedal is. Still got the speed. Yeah. I still can uh, tell the ones that uh, don't know where their rearview mirror is. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You look good, man. You look healthy. Man, I stay busy. Yeah. You know, I I run from. Uh, Dust to dark every day. I was in the workout room this morning at four thirty and uh, feeding the dogs and the horses and getting in the shower and hauling butt down here. What is the motivation to stay in such good shape? Well, you know, started working out racing, mm-hmm. but golly, I just had such great role models growing up with a work ethic. So if I don't feel like I'm accomplishing and Doing every single thing I can every day, then I don't feel right right here. So yeah. I'm just I'm just driven, man. You and your brother are so different. All right, what is the deal? Like why you and him don't seem like brothers to me? <laughs> but y'all did. Y'all were together a lot. Y'all spent a lot of y'all's. You know, y'all raced with y'all raced together at South Boston. I, I don't know what y'all's life was like around the house when you're teenagers. But why are y'all so different from each other? Well. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, and I talked to Jeff last week. If I think of something three or four times, I'm going to deal with it. I'm, I'm going to think about how I'm going to deal with it. I knew that you and I were going to be talking about this today because I saw a little bit of the interview with Jeff that y'all did yeah. last year. And I called Jeff just because this kind of spurred it a little bit. And, and we had a great conversation. First thing I told him is I didn't feel like I'd been a really good older brother. Really? And I told him I loved him. And, um, and I do. And I love my brother Brian also. But we, we had the greatest parents in the world. I mean, back in the 70s, you know, when I was growing up, and even in the late 60s, had a lot of freedom. You know, my freedom was staying in the woods. 
and you got to envision my mom was got a Brian is three years younger than me. Jeff is five and a half. So, you know, with mom taking care of those two, that gave me a lot of freedom to go out and just be a kid in the outdoors. But Jeff's uh, growing up was a little bit different than mine. You know, I took the hard road, so I got sent away to a bunch of schools during the summer school, during summer. I so got what, sent, kind, what kind of schools? Reading, speaking, uh, writing, English. You know, and be honest with you, if I was sitting in a classroom, I was interested in what was going on outside, mm-hmm. <laughs> outside in, of the woods, not not in the classroom. I just, I just didn't get it, and I didn't realize that uh, I needed to do what was expected of me, and then take the easy road. I took the hard road, and that made me get sent away to military yeah. schools and all this. What military schools you had? Hargrave. I, we used to go to Hargrave and play basketball. We I went to I was at Oak Ridge. So Oak Ridge. Well, we have rival military schools at the table. <laughs> Who knew? Not, there was a there was I guess a bit of a rivalry, but Hargrave is the real deal. Yeah. Now Oak Ridge is is a way easier. Hargrave. When we go up to Hargrave, it was scary. So here's this is the way I when I was at Hargrave three and a half years, graduated second lieutenant. There were some military schools we could go to. They were sharp, like Fork Union. They were sharp. Hargrave was sharp. And I can, I'm not saying anything about it. Sure. The other ones would be slack where you could wear your <laughs> yes. clothes hanging down and all that. And not, not at Hargrave. Hargrave. You're no. going to walk the bull ring. Yeah. But anyway, Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff and I just had a different upbringing. And I had some grand older role models. So I was really close with uh, one of my granddads and my grandmamas. My dad, you know, we spent a lot of time together in the outdoors. But I had some other older gentlemen, particularly C.R. Sanders, that uh, that taught me a lot about uh, land stewardship and just taught me a lot of lessons. So he was like a second dad, a granddad, and a dear friend all at one. That started at this tall. So my roots were really deep. And when my parents separated, man, and we all— How we, old were you in that heaven? I was in college, so mom called me and told me she needed me home. I knew it was coming, but Jeff is 16. So you, y'all, y'all know everybody, there's no perfect family. My mom and dad were perfect parents, and I was, and still feel that way today. But when they split, it obviously affected Jeff a lot more than me. Hmm. And so, you know, when I was brought up, I was made to go work in construction because that was what my granddad founded, my dad run. That was, it was like a family farm, you know? What do you do at a family farm? You go work and pull your weight. Well, I realized real quick when Jeff got to that age, dad did not make him do that. So it gave me a little bit of an attitude. How that, why the hell does he get to stay, you know, do something other than work? But Jeff uh, Jeff worked really hard, and, uh, you know, his racing career, um, you know, Dad gave him the opportunity. I think a lot of the reason that Dad did what he did for Jeff at that age and not Brian or I is Dad felt guilty of why the family split up. Huh. And, you know, and then as later, Dale, later as when I got in the street stock and, you know, I went to a race to see how they were doing and my career, you know, it wasn't – Dad wanted to see if I was focused. 
And after a year or so, he realized there was nothing else that was going to come between me and that race car after work. But anyhow, uh, you know, I'm proud of Jeff and, uh, you know, my, I've got two great brothers and we just had, we just had different upbringing, man. Yeah, in okay. the same house, but different. Wow. Upbringing. So why the hell do I talk different? Jeff said I was from the Southern end of the house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He yeah. did say that. So he started racing first. All right. And yeah. so how old is he? I guess 18. Well, when you I, went, wait, where college did you go to? I went to Elon. All right, and what did you finish? No, sir. So you went. How many years did you go? I went two and a half, and didn't know what I was going to do in my life, and called my buddy C. R. Sanders that uh, owned that eleven hundred acres that my foundation owns now is protected, and went and lived in the woods two years. Right after college. Well, he quit. You you or quit. Wait, college. I, you left college. Well, left I, college. I went home and I. My parents were like, it was my second year, like, what are you going to graduate in? And I said, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to major in philosophy. It just came easy to me. Dad said, you're not going to make a living doing that, son. You got to have business. So I went and took a business economics course during the summer. Didn't go very well. I called my buddy Sanders, can I stay in this tobacco barn? Why you did know? you want to do that? Well, it's I wanted to go to something that I, I knew – I felt at peace at, and I just, you know, I just didn't know where my life was going. And being outdoors, I'm, I'm at peace, I'm self-reliant, and that's what I needed. How far was this from the house? It's about 30 miles from from. Did you, know. you tell your dad and mom that you were going to go live in this <laughs> shack? Well, I didn't have a vehicle. You didn't I, have a car? So you really sort of disappeared from civilization then when you say you well, moved out Well, I the did, but look, uh, we had some hellacious times back there in high school with friends, so I still I still had company on a weekend. Yeah, you still had some visitors. They knew yeah. where to find you. <laughs> but a normal, a normal week, you know, I'm trapping and hunting and doing what I got to do to provide food for and, myself. And, all right, so you're doing all that, living in the woods, doing everything. This is exactly what you want to be doing. Yep. And what was your – so your dad had an opinion about your major in college. What was his opinion about this decision to be in the woods for two years, trapping and, and doing all that? Dad, dad and I relationship kind of got strained a little bit when, when my parents split up. Me being the oldest, seeing what it did to my mom and my two younger brothers, uh, it, it took us a few years to – get past all that yeah. some of it was me some of it was him so when i when i decided it was time for me to kind of get back in the real world and uh start working again you know i went right back to jay burton construction renting a house like i always did and, hold up uh, so you went to the shack for a couple of years i call it a shack it's not really a it's an old tobacco yeah. barn that sanders that put we a got rock a picture floor you know that's it man i just restored it a couple yeah. of years ago yeah what's inside it when you was there? It's a rock floor with that chimney and two old World War II bunk beds. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. That's it. <laughs> and you didn't have a car. No. So how did you get to the store? You didn't, didn't go to the store. He didn't go to the store. <laughs> I didn't need anything in the store. Where did you get your water at? Creek down below. That's where I bathed at, too. Really? Yeah. And you ate everything. You went and killed and hunted and trapped for everything you ate. Pretty much. I mean, you know, look, I've... 
it wasn't like I was living in the middle of British Columbia in an igloo. Yeah. Did you, you know, what'd so you I do? had some sugar and some flour. I was just going to sure ask I you, if you, I was just going to ask you, did you season the meat? Man, back then it stayed cold enough. I could bag a deer and leave the hide on it and gut it and go out and carve what I wanted and put it in some rentals out and put it in the coals. What? Yeah. It was that it's, cold? It, it stayed, it froze from... From like uh, mid December into February, and w- if it thawed, it didn't thaw like it yeah. did now. Like it gets seventy one days. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So how did you stay warm? The fireplace. Oh, so because I had a fireplace in it. Yeah, there's a ch- all right. Wow, you really did live off. It's the pretty land. awesome. I didn't know if you maybe snuck a couple runs to Cracker Barrel or something like that. Maybe well, there wasn't was any a- Cracker Barrel. <laughs> hey, man, you know I went in town some. You know, hell, if it, you did know, you bar hopping or whatever. You know, look, I'm single, man. Did so, you? you know, yeah, I- you raised. So you was raising a little hell in there every oh, once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeff told me you were. <laughs> he said you, he said he wasn't. You know, he did party a little bit. It was, and you got to remember, man. It's you know I was brought up in the seventies. Yeah. Right. It, was, it was a different world yeah. in the 70s. So what made you decide, all right, it's time for me to go to work? I don't know. I don't I think I think the biggest thing I was I was at peace. Mm. I had done my I had done what I felt like. I never I don't even know if I really consciously gave it any thought. I knew where my soul was at and I, I've always been at peace in the outdoors and I just you know, I, I didn't do, do didn't do well in college. I didn't know what the heck I'm gonna do in a livelihood. I just needed to I just needed to unwind a little bit. Yep. And then when I came out I still didn't know. I just went back to work and I'm, i always had my own place. Yeah. Were so, you and your dad still had y'all mended whatever little Yeah, yeah, there was? we started spending more time together and of okay. course, you know, just like me, I, the worst thing the worst attribute anybody can have that I can have no patience with is laziness. So, Dad, you know, you at the you at the office at seven a.m. and you work to three thirty at those days. So, you know, I'm gonna be prompt. I'm not gonna be late. And you know that that started. Dad seeing okay, he's got his blankety blank together. So, how long after the how long after that did you drive your first race car? Well, the I drove. Uh, uh, Carl Long's daddy haunts his Volkswagen twice. When? I'm thinking that was 85. Were you in the cabin or were you out? No, I was I was renting been, uh, from a— You'd been out for a bit? Yeah, year or two? Probably, probably a year. Okay. I'm guessing. I'm, Has I your really, brother—was your, was your brother racing? Yeah, so Dad took Jeff straight from go-karts to late model stock. And he's got this red number 12. Yeah. He's working on that and over at the house. And racing those guys back in them times, Bugs Harefield, yeah. Wayne Patterson, Maurice Hill, they were the best in the country, yeah. man. So, I mean, they were kind of floundering at best. Yeah. You know, and and Carl offered me that, uh, or Mr. Long offered me that Volkswagen. I just said, shoot, I bought a fire suit. And then uh, a gentleman named Carl Newble was putting together an old street stock. It was an old sportsman car. And we went out there, and I can remember them straightening the snout with a chain and a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we uh, we qualified third and took the lead in, I don't know, it was a 30-lap feature. Lap car got in my way, almost spun out, finished second. But af- after that, everything else was second. <laughs> you know what I mean? The outdoors, the girls, the party, and everything came out after that race car. Yeah. That's yeah. something. That's Just, a big change then. 
Well, I, it, look, it's a hobby, and I'm still working for Dad, but I'm, I'm driven as soon as I get off work to whenever it is. You know, you did the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's what you did, man. Yeah. You know? You went and worked on the race car. Yes, sir. So you ran that street stock a few, a year? or year and a half. Well, year and a half. Yeah. Same car. Year and a half. Same car. Same car, yeah. Working and working and working away on it. <laughs> yeah. And your brother's racing his late model. Yeah. I saw a video on YouTube of you racing a Camaro. A yellow one. Yep. Whose was that? That was Goo Fallen. So uh, Goo Fallen, he's, he's passed years ago, but... Uh, how many, how long had you been racing when I saw that video? What? What part? Of year you and a half. You've been running a year and I've a half. I've been running that street stock. So that's 85. So, you know, I'm 25 years old. Yeah. So you're just still pretty green. Hell, I, I hadn't raced anything since go-kart. And in, <laughs> in this video, I didn't know if you'd been running late models for four years or whatever, but so apparently you just run the street stock for a year and a half, and then you get in this yellow Camaro. Goo built me, Goo built me that car, number two. So yeah. two, right? You won in that video, and it appeared in from watching the video, that it was your first win. With the late model. With the late model. Yes, yeah, you're exactly was right. At, you're in uh, pit road, so the other classes are still running. Y'all run y'all's race, right, and you won it, right. and y'all were drinking out of a champagne bottle. <laughs> you remember that? Well, I remember Jeff finished second. And Jeff, yeah. Jeff, man, back in the end, so Dad hired the Rice brothers, Chris Rice's daddy and uncle. Yep. They were mm. the first full-time late model stock crew on the East Coast. Yep. It it eventually changed the whole spectrum. Yeah, I'd and say it did. It it really did. And Jeff and them, I mean, they were they were bad to the bone. Well, they teamed up. Yeah. And and you beat them that day. Well, there was a big wreck in front of us. The only reason I got the lead, I went through the grass and come out the other side with the lead. Yeah. So you take it how you get it, right? <laughs> Hell heck you yeah. Ain't <laughs> it, you ain't giving the trophy back, are you? <laughs> no, no, that's right. We, we called that car the crab because it either run really good or wouldn't run at all. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what was that feeling like, though, at that point in your life when you had you started racing after your brother raced? And I know I'm not trying to think y'all were in a competition I'm or anything. Following. But you win, you won a race. You you started after him, and you weren't in late models as long as him, and you go out there and get in that car, and you, you show yourself as a winning driver like you can do it. Are you thinking in your mind – uh, I know you're probably not thinking about cup racing and and, no. and how far you're going to go in this deal, but you got to be pretty proud of yourself. Uh, maybe a little bit. You know, look, the minute I got in that street stock, the 77 street stock, I drove the wheels off that damn thing. <laughs> they were tough enough that I could bounce off the wall and not even knock the toe in off. That really, and I bet you Jeff would admit it right now, because they were floundering in late model. When Jeff saw me going out there and started winning races in this street stock and all, it got his program up. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, that, that first day, I can remember going back to the uh, – dad, dad was building Best Western. And, you know, whether it be the, uh, the plumbers or the concrete guys or whatever, all the subs – or the yep. people that I'm digging ditches with, everybody's looking at me different. Yeah. Because I had just gone over there. Didn't win the race. I finished second, but I drove the hell out that damn car. And they looked at me different. And I was like, you know, what's, what's, what's different about today? Mm. It was just the, the, the fans uh, packed the, the races back in them days, and they looked at me like all of a sudden I was a different guy just because I wheeled a car. But uh, – that's nice. I think it helped. I think me getting in there helped J Jeff 
get more motivated and more aggressive as a driver because huh. I was always the most aggressive and Brian was the best between us both and Jeff we could get to the end of the race at the same place yeah right I'm wanting to lead the first damn lap Jeff was fine to take his time and get there at the end yeah. kind of like you you know the <laughs> old uh like what you always hear about David Pearson how good he mm-hmm. was versus some others that you know isn't that interesting though? Is like one more thing that they are just completely different than each other, even all the way to the how they approached racing. Yeah. You know, back then. Now, did you just say Brian also raced? Was he? My brother Brian was the best of both of us. So look, Brian. Brian had my aggressiveness, but Jeff's level headedness, hmm. and put them together. So Brian would Brian would get the lead by the middle of the race. I'm going to either wreck or win the, win, <laughs> win the race on the first lap, and Jeff would take his maybe too much time. Yeah. So Brian, Brian was an awesome, awesome go-kart well, racer. Did he run any street stock car or late model? No, Brian was at college at that time, and, you know, it was just all a hobby. But I, I tell you, Brian created on the third and fourth turn, he called it the Brew Crew. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Brian and all of, our, all of our friends, they'd be lining up the stands and turn uh, three and four at South Boston every weekend. Is that right? Yeah. He had his own uh, his own fan. And there was always a party somewhere. <laughs> yeah. What was the chassis on that Camaro? I just got to know. Is it a stock front clip? Uh, that was a manual Savakas. Yeah. Out of Richmond. Okay. Yeah, you remember Butch Savakas? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Butch was a good racer, too. Yeah. Emmanuel used to say, I'm the highest paid stopwatch in the garage. You know, people hired him for cup cars and all that. Mm. All I do is use my stopwatch and tell them what to do. (laughs) Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. So how long did you run late models? Uh, let's see. So I stopped driving for Goo probably in 86 or 87, drove for Dad. Dad built two cars for me, uh, Hitchcock cars. I'm guessing 88, 89, something. Then, you know, Humphrey Wheeler created the sports yes. division. Yes, and so that's what you got into? Yeah, and that was, that was awesome, man, because, you know, you just found these old, not bus cars, but the sportsman cars and put our late model motors yeah. in it. And I, I really sh- did really well there and nude, man. I, Where'd you get your car? The sportsman cars always the interesting about the interesting thing about the sportsman cars is they were X Xfinity cars or they they had a pass some pass yeah, somewhere. They had a pass. This Nova, uh, Dad built this car in '84 and it won at Daytona, Rockingham, Charlotte, uh, Darlington. Really? In '84, '85, '86, and then he's built him a Monte Carlo with new Monte Carlo body. And that car went and ran a sportsman series at Charlotte. Wow. And they cut the back up and put a nine inch rear and housing in it. I mean, a 
quick change in it, you know, and it did. They wrecked it. It's been destroyed front and back right. in that series over there. So, but that's an example of like all those cars had a past. Do you know where your car came from or how you acquired it? Bobby Temple owned the car. Who's he? He was in racing uh, years ago, and I don't know how to answer that. I I haven't been in touch with him in a while. Uh, Dad and I drove somewhere in eastern Carolina, and if I'm not mistaken, it was somewhere near Cary. And this car had every kind of junk stuff on top of it and everything else in the garage, and he finally got all the stuff off of the damn car. Anyway, it was green lime. And we we got our motor on it, so we didn't set it up or nothing. It was y'all got this car from that guy. We didn't get it. It's oh, his car. It's we his car. we took him the motor, and he said we want we you know my crew helped a little bit. He said we'd like to meet y'all at the racetrack. Wow. I mean, really. And to be honest, we we had a radiator leak, uh, so didn't get but one lap practice, but set the baby on the pole. Mm-hmm. Wow. And led every damn lap and blew a we cut a left rear tire down with like eight laps to go. Jack Sprague, Bobby, I mean, uh, Todd Bodine was in the field. Mm-hmm. i tell you what started happening. People realized they could go get these cars for fairly cheap. And so after the second race, we're getting ready to do the third race. They, one guy got killed. He had spun out off a of four. And the guy that hit him was going into one. So the caution, oh. caution like, but, you know, it's just yeah. the guys that, Listen, look, there was a few that started racing, didn't have no racing experience at all, but wanted to go race Charlotte. And that's what ended the whole series. When they let Tom uh, uh, Benfield, what was his name? Uh, Henry Benfield. Benfield. They let Henry Benfield run one of those races. Yeah, he had no damn business being on the racetrack, and he'll tell you that. (laughs) I was young, and that series was pretty awesome. It was awesome. Well, you know what's interesting? So I watched part of a tape on that first race your dad was help oh his crew chief was running the race yeah shamardine yeah exactly yeah so your dad was on the radio with him and it was funny because jeff bodine was helping todd you know so a lot of the cup guys were getting into this race man Yeah. yeah yeah so you got you dropped all of your late model stuff to go to run that car no, no, we're still running late model. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying that, to me, that was a big break for me because people... Uh, people got to see you. Yeah. And yes, so what, yeah. Ha- what What? came of that? Like you go run, you sit on a pole, lead all them laps. Nothing what? much came of it. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, you know, really, how I went from late model to uh, to Bush was dad, dad was helping Jeff yep. with Sam Ard, you know. Yep, Jess is driving Sam R's car at White 12. That's exactly right. You put it good. Man, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm a historian, buddy. I can tell. Yeah. Well, Ed Faree. Oh, I'm, yeah. Ed is Ed. orange 49, <laughs> orange and white. Exactly right. That's a good-looking car. A Buick. Well, Ed told me, he said, if you come up to, uh, I think it was Delaware, I've got a car that I'll let you run. So I went up there with my bread truck and my open trailer. You were we were talking about this in the Darlington garage the other day. Yeah, yeah. I mean the bread trucks were awesome. Yeah, you had all the room in it. But anyway, <laughs> Ed Free and his wife. I mean they just they were just fabulous. And um, so what he have? He had a he had a motor and a car and let me take it home. It was white. I think we put twelve on it. I can't remember. But we went to uh, 
Martinsville with the Glass Brothers and Bill Smith and Danny Bomar. They, they used to help Tommy Houston um, years ago. I mean, Tommy Ellis. But anyway, we didn't make the race by time, but we won the heat race. Mm-hmm. And I think we finished 12th in the feature. Little did we know that we needed to add a lot of forward bike to those cars. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, man, that was a big deal for us. Yeah. And and after that, you know, around that a few years, uh, I met Mike Swain. And Mike Swain... Um, and Morgan Shepard and I shared the Texas Pete uh, nine bus car. Dang! Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, really, that the Ed Free doing that, and Dad was still helping me at the time. So look, I mean, back on that, Dad certainly helped Jeff more than me. But I, just like I told Jeff the other day, if it hadn't been for my dad, neither damn one of us would have had the opportunity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know the deal. If you're going to show your talent, which that's what got you rides back in them days, somebody had to give you. A- opportunities how did the ride with the texas peak car go that nine car man it was awesome i mean golly so i remember sorry to interrupt you i remember um going to the races and seeing like damn there's a different guy in that car every week yeah it was wild i didn't know what they i didn't like um, i was young you know and i didn't understand why there were different people in that car every week but you get did you know going into season what races you were going to run or were they calling you Early in the month, saying, "Hey, we need you to." I knew. Yeah. So, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't think I don't think it was the full schedule. Uh-huh. I I really not sure. I can't remember. But you know, like I had Charlotte and Gainesville, uh, South Boston. Um, when you went, so you'd already ran the sportsman car around Charlotte, so you weren't too worried about you've been you know coming from a mile and a half south Bo- or half mile south boston track to a big track like charlotte you already run the sportsman car around there so you kind of you you weren't going in you weren't stepping into something that that was too big for you man i've I always felt like back back before they did all the pavement if i had a good car i owned charlotte how mm. many how many races that we lost from a lug nuts or running out of gas or tires, not that I didn't make some mistakes, too. I mean, in all three divisions. Yeah. I mean, out of all the places, how in the hell I don't have some trophies at Charlotte? I love that place. But, you know, we went to Charlotte to test the Texas Peak nine-car bikes. And Mike was on the way, and me and Rick Wren, you remember Rick Wren? Yes. Rick Wren could make me go, man. Mm. Rick Wren could make me haul the, the mail. We ran two laps, the fastest lap there. I spun out off the two, got in the wall a little bit. So I had some body damage, so testing's over. Later that day, Mike was like, well, you know you ran the fastest lap of, the, of everybody, right? And I said, no, I didn't. But I, I was a little irritated with myself. And anyway, we went back, and that was really before the before the Bush guys on the mile-and-a-half trap could run with your dad and Harry Gant. Yeah. If you go back and watch that race, I ran with Sterling Marlin, Harry Gant, and your dad's car really wasn't good that day. But we run in the top five to seven all day. And the Tommy, nobody nobody did that back in them days. Anyway, your dad gave, we had a late restart. Your dad knocked the hell out of me going into one and two. Got me up, I think I was fourth or fifth, and I ended up finishing seventh or eighth, but... um. That that was a big break for me. So that that led into the next year of uh, getting with Charlie Henderson, then eventually getting with Mister Dillard. Charlie Henderson. Yep. What car was that? 
Charlie Henderson was number uh, 75. Oh, the food, food si- city. Food city. Yeah. Food country. Food country. Food country, yeah. Yeah. Hell, heck of a nice guy. That car had been in the series for a long time. Long time. Yeah, heck of a nice guy. You know, poor thing. He just he just didn't have the, he didn't have the right people around him. Yeah. But uh, heck of a nice family. And um, and then you got into the Hardy's deal. Yeah, with yeah. the thirty one. Well, it was Gwaltney the then. Gwaltney, Gwaltney. the twenty seven. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And that Gwaltney. team was around a really really long time. Yeah, because you know Mr. Dillard uh, used to be a really good racer himself. Yeah, but uh, his son-in-law is Rick Mass. Yes, and then, yeah, yeah. So they he helped so, Rick. Yeah, he started fielding cars for Rick. Yep. And then when they split up, uh, he did his own deal. Elton Sawyer was driving for him. Um, yep. For, yeah. Like McMurray drove for that car. The twenty-seven. I mean, mm-hmm. it it the ownership thing kind of moved and changed a little bit and shaped around a little bit but that 27 stayed in the series till i got there like, same same sort of organization it wasn't mr dillard yeah at the time no yeah you won rockingham though right and it was like Went 19, to Gwaltney. in 1992 was it around there like was that your first was that your first bush win yeah 91 or 92 and so what, what, what are you thinking then i mean when you're winning now at the uh you know at this level are you uh, when, when do your sights set for the big time? Have you even allowed yourself to get to that point yet? You know, I never really, uh, I, I never really was concerned or given a lot of thought to cup cars. Uh, but you know, I, I knew like at what I had done at Charlotte. You know, all, all it was, was was Rick Dennis and uh, and Mike Swain and uh, Rick Wren and me. That's it. That's the team. Yeah. And um, so I, I knew if I had the opportunity, you know, golly, I, I passed up so many rides. I mean, at 93, who you drove for called me and wanted to know if I wanted to run some cup races. Who? Rick? Rick. Yeah. Rick Hendrick called you in 93 to run cup? Well, it wasn't full time. He said, would you like to run some cup races for me? Well, I was ecstatic, and I called Mr. Dillard, and he, he wasn't happy at all about it. <laughs> Because y'all had a good thing going at that point. We did. And, you know, hell, he had uh, – I mean, so when I got to racing for Mr. Dillard, I didn't have to work construction no more. You know. Right. You know, I'm I'm full-time racing. So, yeah. you know, I don't, man. It's, you know, going back, if I look over those things, um, I think I could have had a whole lot more um, – whole lot more wins. But it's just, you know, I had to just tell him no because Mr. Dillard was really – and I think some of what it was and what him and Rick had been through, you know, his son-in-law. So I, I don't know. Just so that didn't work. So what? Other, what other rides did you get that you turned down? I don't even know where <laughs> I start. You got a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on. <laughs> but, but that's cut. We're gonna get to that in a second. Because then cause you, 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 <laughs> we are. Cause, yeah. Because in '93 you go, you win three more. I mean, now you're still winning that number, that Hardy's car. Yeah. yeah so Gwaltney pulled out. I was lucky enough to meet Randy Pritchard. He he ran Body Knoll that owns a bunch of Hardys in Virginia and North Carolina. So they were the sponsor in 93. And so, and you're still running for Dillard. Yes, sir. And then you go to Cup in 94. Yep. But this is going to Cup with, with Dillard, right? right? Right. I remember when so, y'all went to Charlotte and qualified on the pole with the Cup car. Yep. Flying. Oh, man, we had that baby hooked up. <laughs> Unbelievable. The next day... uh 
is when the right front tire, that was my first real blackout from a concussion. Yeah. Oh, you know, where I knew who I was. Mike, you could walk in there, and I, I would ask you the same. This is what they tell me. I'd ask you the same three questions, or Dale, you walk, ask you the same thing. But if you walked out and came right back in, I didn't even know you had, come, had been there. Yeah. Mm. And then all of a sudden, not the light bulb was fully fully bright, but all of a sudden I came back and I was released. That was Dr. Petty. Dr. Petty did a such great job for for all of us when yeah. we would get hurt, you know. He did. He's retired. Yeah. I remember that car, that race, and, and uh, how fast you were. So, you know, guys come into the series, guys come into NASCAR, come into the Cup Series. There's new guys coming in every year, rookies, and you're, you everybody pays attention to the rookies. And they have to do something. They got to do something, right, to stand out. And that was your moment, I think, where you – we I mean, we had been watching it in, in – I'm young, but we had been watching you in the Xfinity series, but you popped on you popped on the scene there and put that car out there on the pole, and everybody was like, dang. this You know, you weren't – it was a brave moment in my mind watching you qualify that car because you weren't – you had no fear. Have you ever had one fast enough? I never have. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't never. I ain't never sat in a car that couldn't be better. Yeah. Oh no. yeah. So I mean, nobody's gonna back. And you know, when the when the t- sidewalls started changing and becoming so stiff, this technique didn't help me. But even when I didn't have the best car, nobody was gonna outdrive me in the damn corner. Yeah. That just won't happen. <laughs> but uh, you know, as as that evolution started changing, that wasn't helping me yeah. any with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now Hendrix offered you a job, you turned it down, but then you're released from the thirty one in ninety ninety five after twenty one races, it says here. Um, and this opens the door for Bill Davis, I'm assuming. But like at this point you're turning down rides? Well, so, so look, uh, Mr. Dillard, like I'd already said, gave me my, you know, it was the first time I'm driving for a living. It was a rough start, you know, so we missed, we missed, in 94, we missed Daytona, we missed Rockingham, we made Richmond by uh, like a tenth of a second to third race. Freddie Fryer had left at the end of 93. For whatever reason, him and Mr. Dillard just couldn't work it tomorrow anymore. So we didn't have, we didn't just have any leadership. But then all of a sudden, Philippe, Philippe Lopez and Ronnie Crook came on board as a pair. Those two guys have made a huge input in the sport, yeah. way beyond what, what we did together. But once they got there, look, we had, that was back when you mounted the body. I don't know the measurement. Let's say it's 32 inches. That's what you run at Daytona, and it's 34 to down. Every car we had was 32 inches. Mm. Oh. Do you remember what I'm saying, the yeah. way they mounted the body? So, I mean, we just – it took them a while, but we – I feel like we did a lot with very, very little. We finished second at Pocono. Uh, you know, we did set on the pole at uh, at Charlotte. The last race at Atlanta, if you watched that race at night, we were going to win that damn race. The motor blew with like – I mean, we're done with pit stops. Cause we're gonna lose spots in the pit. We're done with everything. We got fuel. We're leading the race. So we ain't, we're gonna win it mm. and blow a motor. So we, with very little, we were doing a lot. Even the, even the day that Mister Dillard needed to fire me, because he knew I was going to leave. I was gonna finish the year out, but he knew I had to leave. We finished sixth at Michigan. And I mean, that's that's really that was a few guys. And Mister Dillard, God bless his heart, 
he spent a pile of his own money yeah. keeping that thing running. So, I mean, uh, it was tough. But he knew you had to leave because of you were you – were do your chance to be in a better ride. Well, it wasn't just that. It was just it was man. I mean, he had he we he didn't have enough funding for sponsorship. Got it. Right. So Hardy was a good sponsor, but they wasn't that good. Remember, Hoosier was in the sport in '94, so he got free tires. They wasn't in '95, so just that bill alone, you start adding yeah. them up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's tough, man. So you got a call from Bill Davis. How did that st- conversation start between George you and him? George Debernard had called me. And so I'd already met with uh, George and Bill and Gail and uh, Dave Elgino of MBNA. We'd, we'd already had some conversations. And, man, I mean, shoot, that 95 Pontiac with the shape of that body and Chris Hussey in uh, the team, we missed North Wilkesboro. But other than that, I mean, it's – they, it was just solid, man. And it's just a really – Bill Davis, that's a really small team. I mean, yeah. just a real small shop. It's nothing like you got right here. And uh, it was just – it was working that year. Did you remember – like, when did you start noticing Bill Davis? Was it before Ward started driving for them? Because that's when I first started no- yeah. noticing Bill Davis. I think it was when Bobby was driving for him a little bit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I guess the curious thing for me was is the Maxwell House sponsorship left juniors and went to Bill Davis with Bobby, I think. I think so. And I think I was like, well, who's this, Bill? Who's this? What? And they, you know, Bill's team came from the Xfinity Series with Gordon. Uh, so everybody was kind of aware of Bill, and he was moving up and okay. moving out of the Xfinity Series where they'd had a lot of success with, with Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin. And so you were kind of paying attention to seeing with the, whether he could make it in the Cup Series as an owner. I mean, he was—he had a great reputation. There was a lot of, lot of friction, you know, when Jeff left. Yes, he was yeah. mad. Yeah. Because he felt like that Ford and him had this, uh, you know, agreement that Jeff was going to – Right. They were, gonna, they were all doing this together. Right. Right. And then Jeff left to go to Rick's, and right. Bill was like, well, damn. I'm gonna have, you know, so the next thing in line, I guess, was Bobby. And Randy LaJoy drove for him, too. Yeah, Is that right? I, I, I think think Bobby had already left the year before when yeah. I got there, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So how did you and Bill Davis get along? I mean, is this uh, were, were you happy? You're now driving for Bill Davis. Um, you was there a while. We got yeah. we got along well. Uh, you know, I always felt like communication, open communication. Bill wasn't very good communication when there was an issue. <laughs> if there's drama, yeah. you know, that to me, to me, that's when you got to be the best communicator. And if you think of something three or four times, how you deliver it is important, right? But that's when you have to communicate the most. And, and I always felt like that was a big weakness because if there, there could be an issue here or there and, and, you know, it was just tough for Bill to uh, talk about it. And um, consequently, sometimes things would get worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Was he not? He didn't like confrontation. Some of it was that, and it's just you know. At the same time, it's kind of like what we talked about with Jeff and I. 
on Bill's perspective, what was going on behind the scenes, I'm sure there was a lot of times it was some financial crisis that he wasn't talking about. I mean, there was quite a few times he would tell me this or that, and he would owe me X amount of money for driving. I'd just say, well, keep it, just trying to help. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I wish that I, if I could go back and do things over with Bill, I should instigate more uh positive communications because i mean we came we came a long way staying together to a certain point and then you know once technology got there when the sidewall goodyear tires started changing in 01 and you know shortly after that man it became an engineering game and that meant resources had to be a lot deeper yeah and you know it was a that's tough 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 road what was your best year you think with bill I would say running consistently in 2001. Yeah. Because the mile and a half, I mean, I always was, I loved the mile and a half. Tommy and I were really bought, uh, doing well. When we went to Rockingham to test in 01, put in a stuff, stiffer right rear spring because I couldn't get the nose to turn and tighten the car. Tommy was yelling at me. And, I, and we had the little bit of telemetry on it that showed, you know, brake throttle steering input <laughs> it showed four degrees more steering input which obviously is tighter right mm-hmm. he went and put the spring on the spring tester well what what was going on we were keeping the damn spoiler in the air well no way i know that and he sure didn't <laughs> know it either but you, you know what i'm saying yeah. that's what started to change where tech you needed technology just the grassroots guy throwing stuff at the car and fixing it didn't fix it anymore yeah yeah. But you and Tommy now had some success. I mean, you, you, you win the Southern 500 at Darlington in 2000, you, or 2001. You win the Daytona 500 in 2002. You and Tommy, I mean, I, I don't know what – from the outside looking in, I mean, I don't, I don't know how the, the, the Virginian and the New Yorker, uh, <laughs> the dynamics of that relationship, because, I, I, you know – Communication gap. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how that resolved. It was great, From man. success, uh, from on-track success, you guys had it. And then you go win Daytona 500, obviously. So when Tommy first came on board, you know, look, I'll tell you this story. Chris Hussey made me haul freight in 95. Changed the body style. I don't know what the heck else changed, but we just lost it somewhere. We still had Poconos and Charlottes, and I could name a bunch of races that we just flat gave away. Couldn't even see the second place car. I mean, we got only way we're going to lose the race is to give it away. Mm. But we lost our consistency. I look back on it, and this, this was something that, you know, I, I bet you Bill would do it over. I mean, MBNA, Charlie Carley told us, and I felt like we were in the principal's office, he said, if you find a, another position for Chris Hussey on your organization and you give this boy a new crew chief, I'll be the highest damn paid sponsor in the garage. Mm. And Bill didn't do it. Damn. He did not do it. So eventually, in the latter part of 98 is when they made the switch. Our second race at Charlotte, we finished second with Tommy and I. So Tommy was aggressive, man. I can remember Bill going to Arkansas one weekend, and Tommy started cutting the bodies off of the cars. He's he trying to get some downforce, you know. And Bill come back and was kind of freaking out. Well, it paid off at the racetrack. Yeah. You know, just because this car looks real pretty, it doesn't mean it might be, might not, it might could be improved. So Tommy just was aggressive, man. He brought uh, Jimmy Ryland and a bunch of guys with him. 
It just it just pumped the team up. Yeah. What do you still recall when you think about the 2002 Daytona 500? I want to. I was wanting to know if you knew what you'd done when you went. Right. You know, when no. you know what you've no. even done. No. Did you when you went? No. <laughs> See, I, I was happy. I, I was. My emotions and a happiness about it, I think, matched the moment. But I don't think right. I realized well, how how special that was. I probably didn't appreciate it. So you're you're labeled for better or for worse. They when you're introduced. Dale Earnhardt, Daytona 500 winner. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it sinks in? Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's time. It's, it's years what you are. it really sinks oh, in. Oh, is that right? Did, did it do you, Dale? Yeah. I mean, I I think I probably about five years after is when I really got to where I thought, damn, I'm, I'm so glad I won that. Right. You know what I mean? Like. I remember being wrecked out or something broke or whatever, but I wasn't in the race. and um, There was a big wreck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Took I was, but I remember watching, uh, watching y'all come around the track and y'all running the top. And there's about ten cars in the lead draft with you in in front of it. And I was thinking, damn, he's gonna win this race. You know, I just couldn't believe it. The, hold on a second. The the thing that happened. Speaking of the wreck, remember that's the red flag where Sterling Marlin pulled on his fender, got out yeah. of his car. That yeah. fast car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he well, put look, you, so. But it, it puts you up front, and you know when he made that mistake, he was leading the race. I think and he got a little contact in that caution. He anyway. was. But I, so when I when I have to go back and look at Daytona's in '01, we had the baddest hot rod there. We led the most laps. We it would have been a different outcome of you and Mike was all I can say. Yeah. Oh, if you had been up there. I mean, yeah, because I was passing Tony Stewart by myself on the outside, and they were the next two. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm not saying Michael wouldn't have won. You know, all I can say, that I was going to be a player. You going to be in the middle of it. My, my, my car was bad. It was handling, and it was cheated up. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to go tell you where. It won't under the hood, but, I mean, that thing was was hauling the freight. Wait, wait, wait a second. This, this is a safe space. You didn't know that? Like, this is where people come and tell about all their cheated stories. <laughs> I didn't stories. know there was any safe space. <laughs> uh, it was cheated up. You At least he said that. You so, got, <laughs> we just did a podcast with Andy Petrie, man, and he unloaded. He told us everything. <laughs> I did. It was awesome. Yeah. Hey, remember that car that Harry Gant won four in a row? It had all kinds of things going on. He told us about. Well, we had we had uh, so the floor firewall. I go hell. I'm gonna say who <laughs> the floor the floorboard on the car. We we had welded an extra layer of floorboard. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're gonna tell it if it somehow or another flipped up and gotten torn all the heck. And anyway, when we went to Talladega. I don't know why, but every single thing we touched made the car better. We. Even if I got a penny, if I'm walking and I'm acting like I'm pushing the car and I stuck a penny up under the left top windshield and put that penny in there, it was a half a tenth. Every <laughs> every damn, every time it was a half a tenth. Anyway, but my mindset on the O2 is I have to miss the big wreck. Yeah. And we wasn't handling good, but Harvick blocked Gordon going into two. Yep. And that's probably the wreck you got into. Yeah. And, man, if you if you look at the tape, I turned it just enough not to spin out, and I bet you I missed a 29 by that much. Mm. And I come on the radio, I said, we just we just got our chance. Yeah. And then Tommy made some last adjustments on the last stop. My car was handling. So we, we had worked our way up to third. Uh, say, hey, man, you know, you got you to be somewhere in that position to win those races back in. Yeah. Where's that trophy? 
It is in my basement. <laughs> uh, I went to British Columbia and um, somewhere around 03 or something. I don't, I don't know when it was. And my wife hired an interior decorator and took all my stuff out of storage and put it in a basement wall like this. So I'm kind of embarrassed when I bring a, a guest over because it looks like a Ward Burton shrine. Now I'm trying to put Jeb's stuff covering my stuff up. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You could have said that that trophy got turned into a deer feeder and none of us would have been surprised. No, no, no. That's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. We've got to talk about Bristol. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which which race we're going to talk about? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Did he have it coming? That's all I want to know. I didn't do anything. He didn't. Do Did it. he have it coming? I never paid him back. He never did. Oh, so you st- he still got one coming. <laughs> Appreciate it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's set, set this race up. Who uh, wants to go first? <laughs> I don't you go We ahead. was running along mid, middle of the race or something. I don't know when it was in the race, but we was running about – Fifteenth or twentieth, and uh, we were we were in the top ten. Were we? Yeah, hell yeah, we'd been in the top ten all night. All right, we've been we're running <laughs> we're running along. Well, we're running, and I am I'm trying hard to get by Ward, and the cars were pretty even. And if you got to run, it was kind of a thing at Bristol. If you got to run on somebody, it wasn't a big one. You wasn't gonna get a big run on nobody. We all run around the bottom of the racetrack. We hopped up out of turn two. It was pretty fun back then when the way you run turn two, you kind of clipped the apron a little bit. And if you did it just right and the guy in front of you didn't do it the way you did it, you might have an opportunity because his car would kind of hop up out of the corner and your your car would keep turning. And I had a run up to his bumper, and I think <laughs> I had about three inches. <laughs> and he went down. We went down in the corner, and he he's coming down. And I I, I I was arcing the heck out of. I was like yeah. this. I was like, I'm we're we're I'm, we're gonna hit, and we hit, and it spun him out, and he hit the fence, and he was mad. He was mad. He should have been mad. So when you came back around on the caution laps, were you surprised when you saw him <laughs> down so, on the on the track? <laughs> I mean, I I was like that, that never had happened to me before, where somebody was that mad at me. Because I try to, I'm, I hate conflict and hate arguing and fighting, and I was just disappointed in not in him, but when uh, growing up with dad and growing up, son going to the racetrack, right? I respect all the guys that dad raced. I respect them like they're his, you know, maybe you know, his friends or they're, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that's gonna make them mad. I wrecked Dale Jarrett at Watkins Glen, stupid, just ran over him in the carousel, and he come up to me. We went to a test at Bristol the next week, and we pull in, and I think it's it's just a tire test or something. And I we I pull into the track, and my hauler's on one side of the track, and Dale Jarrett's is on the other. And I was like, oh shoot! And I mean, I ain't been there five minutes, and he come in the hauler, and he goes, "Did I do something to piss you off?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Man, this is terrible. This feels <laughs> I feel terrible because I mean, I respect this guy, right? And right. I done messed this up. Now I done messed up that I, I want his respect, and I done messed it up." And so that was kind of the same feeling that I had with Ward. And because uh, we always had raced good and stuck my nose somewhere, I guess I shouldn't have put it. Well, did you see? So when you, when Jeb started driving for you and Kelly and Joe Maddox and all, y'all did a deal. Y'all did, you talked about it. Is that yeah. what you Well, I tried, tried to make it happen a year or two before. But what I was getting at, I felt like, you know, particularly your name is Junior Motorsports. I felt like that I should do something because i mean people remember dale and i 
you know, having this. The highlight. Yes. So I did a thing on social media. Have you seen it? I saw it. And, you know, I'm just, I just winged it. That was my first take. And I'm sitting there with this phone doing a selfie, which I've, Jeb has influenced me to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that, what I said, what I meant, you yeah. know, you look. Uh, it was nice. Hey, man, you know, I've made a bunch of mistakes on the racetrack. And, you know, I've had people uh, probably wreck me more than I wrecked them. And, um, I, you know, at the end of the day, was, my, was I mad? Was I madder than mad? Absolutely. But uh, I, I went up to you in Richmond. I said a little bit of something to you, but it wasn't, wasn't confrontational and, you know. I, I knew that I you didn't mean to. Rip. You remember that? Mm-mm. Oh, I just went up to him, I, and he, he, I said, "You should." I said, "You should have called me." He said, well, "I didn't know what to say," which he, which was an honest. That's true. And I swear, just be truthful. And I walked off. I didn't know why you didn't throw a helmet. Why did you throw your helmet? Gloves I at like him? my helmet. If I can get a helmet <laughs> to fit, the last thing I'm gonna do is mess that helmet. Lord, up. but if you're gonna send a message, send the message, oh, man. Ain't nobody gonna change your change your throwing gloves at him. <laughs> I mean, hell, I wouldn't. Well, would you, if I know my you car would have cranked up, that eight car wouldn't have finished. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can tell you that. That's how pissed off I was. That, yeah. But you had to tra- I mean, you raced. <laughs> Mike, you, don't you, get him mad. No, Damn. No, I, I've always wanted to ask this, though. But but you raced with him the next week. Did you, How long did you carry that? Oh, I don't forget. But I owed a lot more to his dad than I did him. <laughs> I mean, really, that's the only, that's the only conflict. Dale and I raced. I don't know of another time. We might have rubbed a little bit, but I don't remember another time that I was at all irritated at Dale about what he'd done on a racetrack. Yeah. But you had you had several with, with the senior? Well, I could go into it. We could have a whole show just yeah. on that, but, I mean, <laughs> which driver didn't? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever <laughs> yeah. throw anything at him, though? He, hey, he, you can be as honest as you want to be about my dad in this room. We are, <laughs> we let him have it. So, <laughs> he, uh, nobody, you know, we throw gloves. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say this. If I wrecked the three car, you're going to get booed. You're going to get hate mail. It's long before social media, right? If the three car wrecks me, it's just racing. Yeah. That's just the way it, that's the way it was, man. Jeremy Mayfield moved him out of the way and lived to tell about it. Well, I mean, heck, I I called the big wreck at Talladega, two thousand, I think. Yeah, I hit the left. My left front got on the apron. So Dale's, you know, we all we all holding each other. Dale, he he didn't do anything wrong. My left front. That was before. That's when they put the line there on there, so you can see the line after that. And anyway, it got me loose, and I got into the left rear of Dale. And that's when Dale got hurt. He got burnt some, Bill oh. Elliott. And, and uh, the next week, you know, when, when I got out of the car, immediately they said, what happened? I made a mistake. I caused a wreck. And no lie, for four, four to five weeks, I would get booed at the grandstand. But more importantly than that, uh, I think we were in California the next week. And I'd gotten Bill Simpson... Uh, to, I'd gone to a full-face helmet finally, and he cut my eye ports back because before he was like this, and yeah. I just I, I wasn't going to do it. And I, I went into your dad's hauler and showed it to him because, I mean, he, Bill was really good. He could, he could fix belts or, or, or helmets, and, and I could see. I got my peripheral visions. You know, I could see my hands there, and I'm not going to drive something that blocks it. But I, I went in there and told your dad again I was sorry, and he called me back. 
that day because I called him. I think I waited till Monday just to say I was sorry. I called y'all's y'all's office. I think he was on a bulldozer doing some work at the farm. Which probably told yeah. But anyway, yeah, we had a we had a, a bunch of history. I come out the end of it the other way more times than not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, so so we can finally put the Bristol thing down at least uh, to rest. Hey, man, it's, you know. At the end of the day, this this gentleman here is sitting at the table with me, and I thank you for having me here. After your dad passed, I mean, I can't imagine not only with everything that was going on, all the dynamics with your family, but, you know, you had the whole sport on your shoulders. I mean, you really did, and you how you handled that and still do is, is amazing. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of people that could have, done what you did i mean you know back in them days after that happened the half of the stand was red with Budweiser shirts or hats i mean to carry that load man you just you did you did an amazing job you still do well i appreciate that man i mean it's a uh i think the reason why i wanted to do as good as i could was because of you guys like you you know the Ward Burtons, Bob the Bonnies, Dale Jarrett's, all those people that I raced against, and I wanted y'all help me, you know, not even in, not even directly, but indirectly help me get from week to week and showed me how to act, showed me how to handle, you know, myself in and around the race car in the garage and after races and in inter- interviews and all that stuff, and I still leaned on you guys. and. Um, well, I wasn't there much for you, you know, because, you know <laughs> – Look, I, I had a racing life, and I got this whole nother life, and I, it's always been that way with me. Racing yeah. gave racing gave this other thing that's my full time life a voice. So you know, I I wasn't much there for you. I'm just saying, you know, it just however you did it and continue to do it, you just did, you did an amazing job because that's a, that's a hell of a lot of pressure, man. You know that yeah. that is. I don't care who you are. So I want to get back to. Um Going to uh, race for Haas CNC, you left th- uh, you left Bill Davis and went well, to drive. Well, he fired me. Bill fired you. Yeah. How come you got fired? Well, so Bill got caught building Toyotas, and I got the phone call from a top guy with Dodge at day De- at Dover that they were dropping the support. That was two thousand and two. So, I mean, crazy thing, man, we won two races in 202, but everything unfrazzled. Mm, wow. Everything fell apart. Baldwin got fired shortly after. Uh, they got caught building Toyota trucks. And the following year, uh, you know, I had in the contract that if they released me for any reason other than medical reason or whatever, that I'd get 10% of the deal and bill came came to me one day i remember being on the car and said you know i don't feel comfortable with that think i ought to take it out of the contract and i said you know okay well within six months i get this letter in the mail they hand me a letter at the, at the shop so i mean you know when i look back on it i don't know i don't really know who was influencing who back there but i'd, I'd stayed there for the right reasons to look after those people but uh you were at the shop and got a letter I was at the shop, and a gentleman that worked for Bill named Mike Brown handed me an envelope, and I read it on the way, and it was uh, them basically wanting to release me. Up until that point, had you had opportunities to go to other teams? Oh, hell yeah, man. The 28, the 99, the 18, 
I could keep naming them. The 99, the one that your, bro- your brother ended up in. I gave Jeff that ride. How'd that happen? Well, because Buddy Parrott and I were trying to get Buddy Parrott to come to Bill Davis. And then uh, Mark Martin got with me at Watkins Glen and wanted to start another team with Jack, obviously. And, um, you know, again, Bill had done a lot for me at the time. And Buddy Buddy had Buddy decided, and he called me and said, look, I, I think the best opportunity for us to go with this Ralph deal. And I just, I don't know, man, you know. George Devonart, Dave Elgina, Charlie Carley, Bill Davis. I mean, a lot of people had helped me get the 22 car, and I just wasn't ready to uh, look after my own self about and drop all of them. So Jeff called me. I told him who to call. When they eventually dropped you, how would that make you feel? I've learned a lot. So I am still loyal as a little puppy in the yard. I just probably <laughs> got, got blinders on as much as I did. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you're my friend, man, I, I got your back no matter what. But you yeah. felt betrayed then? There was, look, at the end, at the end of the day, uh, again, like we were talking, I don't know what was going behind the scenes. Um, so I'm not, I'm not here to judge anybody. All I know is... Um, I did what I was going to say that I was going to do on all cases. I'm, I'm going to follow the code that my my conscience tells me to do, and I'm never going to vary from it. I'm just yeah. not going to do it. There's just so many drivers that do things so differently in those situations. You know what I mean? And there's, there's drivers like you that, that are loyal to a fault, and then there's the guys that jump at every opportunity and it don't, yeah. and they leave anything in the wake. That's just crazy. I'm, I'm just a country boy from – Halifax County, Virginia, you know, and I've, I've just been always taught to, this is what, this is what you do. I would have liked to have had some people around me, even with Mr. Dillard, you know, when, when Gibbs was, was calling Chevrolet about that opportunity, how I could structure things so it's still maybe take this opportunity, but still be able to not turn your back on the one you're in yes yeah and i tell you somebody I always thought did a good job of that with dale jarrett you know like he was it was on a the way he left the wood brothers to go to robert yates you know it's you know or it may have been um joe gibbs at that time well, yeah it was. but but you know it's just I I needed I needed some people I can confine in. If, as I look back on, I just didn't I just didn't have anything like that. Was that zero car? They were sort of in between drivers at the time. Is this a good opportunity and only opportunity, or what? It was only opportunity. My stock was down. I mean, we hadn't run very well, yeah. and I, Tony Fur was a heck of a good guy. I mean, at the time, Joe Custer uh, literally didn't know a damn thing about cup racing. Yeah. You know, so he he was trying to do it for Gene Halls. Once Tony Stewart got in the ball sure. with that, I mean, it was a ball game changer. But yeah. really, they didn't they couldn't figure out how to use the Rick, the Hendricks resources. You know, so and after that, um, you know, I got to the point I just I didn't know who to trust, and I just put the helmet in the closet. Mm. You I quit? Mean, I quit. Did you want to quit? No. No, I felt like I was in my prime, man. I, I mean, I just, I mean, even today, I feel just as good as I did when I was 18. I felt like I was in my prime, and I I just wasn't going to fight the battle. Really, the biggest thing is just who I could trust and who I couldn't. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've always looked after myself. Hell, we all have to, right? 
but I've always looked after others as much as myself and still do. So you got out of that car. You end up coming back in 06 and 07 and running in that four car from McClure yeah. a little bit. They're, they're, they come across to me as a fun group. I don't know how fun it was at that particular point. <laughs> their, their business uh, ended up closing up. But right. Um, they were always kind of they did it a little different. They weren't a they weren't a Charlotte based team, right? And uh, they ran out of Virginia. And anyhow, I have to wonder: Did you when you stopped driving and you still feel like you had so much left in the tank? How were you able to stay away from the seat, like any seat? Right? You could have raced with your son. Did you race with your son? He's trying to get going. He runs some late models over over the last you know, decade. Yeah, later. I mean, Jeff Jeb was still quite young then. I and, know, and it probably affected. You look like you could get in a late model now and go to Ace or somewhere and run top three. Man, you know what I did? So, you know, I always had this other life. Even when I was racing, I was when when I wasn't racing, I was doing work on on Sanders Farm, or, or I was doing some outdoor activity. Then when I started my foundation, I mean, little did I know I was creating another child. I mean, literally. So so by that time, you know, I created the foundation '96, man, that, and that was, that was an emotional roller coaster, particularly the first ten years. I mean, I had a lot going on while I was still driving. I was doing at least two full-time jobs. Yeah. So for me to leave it, I had a whole nother life. It was already established. I mean, my who I was and the uh, what I was taught as a kid, it, it was already instilled in me. So I, I knew, I mean, racing was an, was an occupation. This is a lifetime endeavor with, with outdoor and giving back and trying to leave the world in a better place. And um, so I've, I've been so driven on that. Do I dream about it, or particularly those first few years? Absolutely. I mean, was it easy for me? Yeah, because if, I, if I'm stressed, I become less stressed if I'm working and I'm busy. My calluses are going to stay on my, home, my hands. So, you know, that, that was my release, and I've, just, I've been driven ever since. So did I give it thought? Do I feel like I've missed a lot of opportunities? Absolutely. But I, I didn't have control of it. Yeah, you know, D- does Jeb's success, uh, which congratulations, by the way, because I also know how hard you've worked, uh, you know, and, and uh, Jeb winning that race this year is just uh man. We all love that one. But did Jeb's success pacify also a little bit of maybe what could be that urge that, uh, you know, uh, of the way that you and I, you've always got the woods, but also Jeb is now doing quite well. It's completely separate. It's just you, it's you're com- able to compartmentalize all that. It's completely separate. Look, the decisions I made for my career were mine and mine only. Yeah. And the one that I had no control over, I didn't have any control of it. So, you know, if something goes on with our conversation today that I didn't have control of, I'm not going to give it a whole lot more thought. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, what I did, I did it. Yeah. And the, and the decisions I made, I made. So, uh, and with some things thrown at me that uh, I wish hadn't been, absolutely, that's just life, it's man. Life. Jeb's career has been much different than mine because everything is much different. If you look at what Jeb did in 2012 in the Turner truck, he would have been offered a bus ride the following year had Dale and I been doing that 15, 20 years later. Because there was... There was 30 or 40 garage, uh, car owners with sponsors in the garage. And mm-hmm. that's, that's why the phone used to ring. 
And does talent still mean something? Absolutely. But y'all know somebody's got to be some behind somebody. There's got, and a lot of times there's funding associated with it. It's, it's just the whole thing has changed. So all I know with, with Jeb, it's been, man, I don't know how many times I've cried or, or in uh, despair or happiness over it. I mean, it, it's just it's yeah. just been it's been crazy. I mean, when uh, Cherokee Tobacco, which was an East cigarette, which which was sponsoring uh, then Turner Scott, they they left Daytona the fastest truck, and I get a phone call. And after that phone call, trying to figure out how to fix it, I didn't leave my office for eight days, other than go take a shower. I was so stressed out, you know. It just so. A couple of years after that, I finally just said to Jeb, look, I can't carry it on my shoulder yeah. solely no more. I cannot do it. It's going to kill me. And there are other things that need to be getting done aren't being getting done. And be honest with you, son, they don't want to talk to me anyway. Mm. They want to talk to you. You're the driver. Mm-hmm. And and shortly after that, it started clicking. And Jeb, you know, I'm proud of him. What, whatever happens in a racing career, the, the kid's got a work ethic. Oh, he treats man. everybody right. He's not going to – he's not got any unspoken motives. He literally, if you were his partner, he literally wants you to succeed as much, if not more, than him. And, that, and that's all you can ask for somebody, you know. Yeah, he works hard, man. He's the example of what you really want out of a driver when outside of the seat. You know, he does – he's great in the, in the behind the steering wheel – a lot of them are, but what he does outside of the car, not a lot of guys are doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know how I know he has to work hard to get these he opportunities does. he's got. But if he get, when you know when he does get those opportunities and he gets the partnerships like what he's got with colleague, he still has that same pressure, you know, intensity. That's right. Of uh, his social media, I, I follow him on social media and all the work he's doing there with all the various partners that he's got. Right. Uh, all the stuff is on brand. You know, it makes sense. It seems to connect to what he is and who he is. Well, thank um, you. He does a really amazing job, and I think he's a great example for guys. When you're trying to show a driver, like, hey, man, you know, you, I know you want, I know you think if you win this race, you're, it's going to click, but you got to do these things too. You got to be this guy every day, not just on race day. That's right. And uh, Jeb's amazing when he's outside of the car. One of the best examples that we got. Uh, of a driver doing what he needs to do what are you doing every day like what are you trying to accomplish with with your foundation so i see you're on social media fixing beaver dams and <laughs> and holding, holding snakes. snakes but what are you trying to accomplish what is your goals well so you know it's why i'm wearing this right here I'm, I'm, i can help one of my children right mm-hmm. so if somebody sees i want to represent uh, colic racing and nutrient solution. My goal, other than my children, is to my foundation to be able to live on after I'm gone. And what does your foundation do? So we're a conservation organization, and we're all about uh, proper land stewardship, which the foundation owns almost 10,000 acres. Mm. And we manage that for Pacific species from forestry to wetlands to uh, we got some endangered uh, plants. And every one of those acres is open for veterans and youth outreach. Mm. And I got a great staff and a bunch of volunteers. So I don't know how many hours, but it's a lot of hours of, of letting uh, 
in, in providing services to a lot of the guys in the military that's given so much. We run a program called ACUB, Army Compatible Use Buffer, for two National Guard bases. And so we got a contract with the National Guard, and that's, that's to protect, like if this base is this circle, that's to protect the outskirts of the base so that the men and women can get the proper live fire training. So it could be an Abram tank, it could be a drone, dark skies, it could be small fires, it could be mortars, it could be, it's a lot of stuff going on. And these two bases are the, two of the top training bases in the country. That's been, a, that's been a blast. I mean, before I came in here, I was just talking to a gentleman named uh, Dave Widenick. It used to be a colonel. Uh, he's uh, second in command of uh, 14 Town Gap in Pennsylvania. And to be able to work with these majors and colonels and these civilians, they got their act together, man. They're true Americans who care about not only our freedom, but the men and women that are providing those freedoms. So, you know, from there to our, our youth outreach, I mean, we really, we really focus on four things, and that's Army-compatible use buffer, land, proper land management, uh, youth outreach, and, and all, the, uh, all those put together where we just we got a lot of outreach. We're getting ready to build a, um, a facility that's just for landowner and, uh, and youth and uh, veteran outreach, which would be a shooting, a 3D archery, uh, fishing, and some axe throwing competition. We're building a pavilion. So, man, we're just trying to give back. Yeah. But, I mean, the foundation and the big picture, we've helped conserve directly or indirectly uh, over 60,000 acres with using tools like conservation easements that's available for all landowners. That take, landowner can economically thrive from making a perpetual decision. So, you know, it's all about just giving back, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I want that foundation to live on after I'm gone for all the right reasons. So, well, really, Dale— my, I'm working on things that's a heck of a lot more important than me. Yeah. And I love it. Do you think that, um, that Jeb has that same passion to carry the foundation beyond your lifetime? Jeb has done so much to help us with his partners. All of his partners support us in some way or another. You know, he's learning. I did not move to Charlotte, which probably hurt my racing career because I wanted to raise all three of my kids in the rural culture. And I already had such a longing because I, I told you about C.R. Sanders and that 1,100 acres. Uh, I, already, I already had such a ground and I couldn't leave. But, um, yes, I think, you know, time will tell, but uh, he, he's got all the tools and I think he's definitely got the passion here. Where was it when Jeb started showing leadership or entrepreneurial uh, um, prowess? In, in, I w- just tell this story of the motorhome lot when he was a kid, because I've always wanted to know if Ward knew what he was doing behind the scenes. I found out later. <laughs> when Jeb used to come and get your autograph. <laughs> yeah. And then go sell them. Go sell them. At the- <laughs> you don't remember this? No. You're uh, looking at me like I told this story myself. It was, told this story. It was, da- yeah. it was Dale and it was Jeff Dale Gordon. Yeah. 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 Jeb, as a kid, and, and honestly, I didn't mean to uh, dilute your message about the, the, all this great this stuff all- you're doing your foundation, but like Jeb... When I realize how awesome of a worker he is and how much leadership potential, I still have this in the back of my mind where he, as a kid, he used to go into the bus lots 
into the motorhomes, knock on doors, get the drivers to autograph. That only happened one time, Mike. <laughs> and Brandon McReynolds was involved with it, too. Yeah, they both were doing it. So they're selling y'all's autographs. And once we found out, it's like, no, that, that day. That's that hilarious. Day, I, I, rem- I can't believe you don't remember it because I remember <laughs> being in the bus and him knocking on the door and you signing it. Oh, you, you were in the this. bus. You did this. You, you, you signed the thing and then you went, I know what you're doing. I <laughs> did. <laughs> really? Were you there? Yeah, and yes, and and he was making some money off of it. I oh mean, hell he, yeah! It, it, so, <laughs> yeah. So the question was, did you know that was going on? Not till later, but that was the How last much later? time. It was that evening. Oh, okay. So that day, like, oh, it wasn't much. Yeah, later. it was. It was at the. It was after practice. It yeah. was that. You know. Okay, so were you impressed? Or were you mad? No, I wasn't. He impressed. probably wasn't too happy. Well, if I can imagine. First of all, they were in the heck out of Dale. That was in Dale, you know, Dale's heyday, right? The whole sports, really. I mean, what, what are we talking about earlier? Why in the heck are y'all going over there? Where the hell out of Dale? It was more than just Dale, though. Like, there was others. He, he there got was others. others. But I mean, man, they. So I caught the very end of it, Dale, yeah. and they, there was a line forming. Yes. That, was, that wanted your stuff. A line form and they wanted Gordon stuff. And Jeb was out there and he had to have been he like, created he had some eight demand. Or, eight or ten. Oh, he had a he had a he had a whole thing, a business going on at the fence line. <laughs> it's so, a pretty good idea, yeah. isn't it? It's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, knowing all about all those hellion kids that have oh, been through man. that bus lot of you know, Jeb was the one that was smarter than all of them. Man, look at uh He would go at driver the, intros the, too and get them. Yeah. He had a hustle. Yeah, it was good. a hustle. In <laughs> Michigan Right after practice, why well, I, I Tommy Tommy said NASCAR wants to see you, and it and I'm still practicing, and the only reason they didn't stop me in practice because they were getting ready to end. Jeff and uh, Mark Martin's boy were throwing water balloons <laughs> outside the bus lot at at some campers. Oh my god! And, and one old gentleman uh, probably didn't he didn't think nothing of it. <laughs> The, the balloon had hit his motorhome window, and he's saying they broke my window, broke my window. So I get I get escorted out there and have to meet this guy, and of course he had a broken window, but I'm like, sir, there's no way in the world this water balloon broke the window. That went on. So I mean, it, it was it was no telling <laughs> during the practice and no, all what the heck them kids would do doing, you know, and driving yeah. the golf carts and. <laughs> I bet he got his tail chewed on that one. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, listen, but this is why I love how much success he's having because I mean he is such a good guy um, and and just such a hard worker and you know things that we do like he and I are working on another project together and he's the one that's calling me all the time saying all right where are we at with this stuff you know and and man I I just love that about him and I think that you raised him with that same work ethic and you should be commended. And that's why I also think that you should be congratulated and feel good about his success. Cause man, when he wins that race this year at uh, Talladega, my goodness, did you, were you there? No. Uh, where you were watching on TV? I was in my basement cause I can't watch it with my wife, particularly at Talladega and Daytona. And uh, she's not as bad as Jeff's wife. Yeah. By no <laughs> mean, but uh, <laughs> what was your reaction though? Uh, well, every time that um, it rained, I like I lost two races at Darlington from rain, so I, I was uh, I was a little concerned about the rain. But when I went upstairs to ask my wife, she was screaming. So I Jeb had 
the race had been called like a minute before I even could compute it with her screaming right yeah. around the house. But, <laughs> yeah, my good friend Chris Baines from uh, Halifax County, he's he's one of the top uh, maintenance guys at um, at Daytona, and uh, he got the phone to Jeb so we could say hey to him. How was that? But, man, I've been lucky, you know. My daughter, Sarah, she's got, I got two grandchildren. She just got a great job with the Martin Agency today for the second time because she's been raising kids. So uh, Jeb has got a good work ethic. Ashton, um, you know, is in college and this crazy virus. Hope that'll school and be able to get back to something. But I've been lucky. My, my three kids, none of them are lazy. Can you imagine if he had a lazy, lazy kid? How long did that last? He year? and I go stay around the house too long. <laughs> he wouldn't have one, yeah. yeah. Well, man, it's been a great conversation, Ward. I appreciate you coming all this way to spend some time with us. People have been asking us to get you on this show for over a year now. They've been begging for you to come on, so they're going to be thrilled to hear you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, and I think it's probably the longest we've talked, Dale. So let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's stay in touch more, man. Yeah. I, all those things I said about you and your family, uh, I, I really mean it. You've uh, you've done a great job for the whole sport and yeah. for yourself too, which is perfect. Well, I've always appreciated you and thought the world of you, and uh, just good to see you still out there. I follow along with your social media and. <laughs> keep up with you and you seem like you st- you're having a good time and enjoying your life uh things are going great with your family like, like you mentioned and uh we wish you the best thank you yes thank sir you. ward burton on the dale jr download Well, we finally made it to my favorite part of the show. Ask Junior brought to you by Xfinity. Ask Junior, uh, this is going to be different. We have questions submitted uh, to Xfinity Racing on Twitter by drivers, right? Are these cup guys, Xfinity guys? Xfinity guys. All Xfinity drivers. Well, I saw a couple cup guys asking some questions, so I wasn't (laughs) sure. But um, anyways, I love this. Uh, I can't wait to hear the questions that they have. And uh, should be a lot of fun. I believe there'll be some smart Alex stuff in there because <laughs> most of those guys got pretty good personalities. So let's have at it. First question from Ryan Vargas. Uh, when you were a rookie in the Xfinity Series, how did you try to leverage expectations and prep headed to tracks you'd never been uh, been to? Ryan is a super cool guy. Yep. I'm glad he chimed in. I knew he would. Um, we had a we had a uh, deal the other a couple years ago. We were speaking to some some of them young drivers, and he was the first one to come up to me after the after the conversation, introduced himself. So I've been paying attention to him ever since. But, uh, anyways, uh, that's what you need to do. Do what Brian did. Introduce yourself to everybody you meet uh, in the industry, and they'll start tuning in, paying attention to you. Anyways, the question was what what was what was the question? <laughs> when you were a rookie, how when did rookie, you yeah. leverage like expectations and and prep heading into tracks you've never been to? Uh, well, I've raced on, uh, racing when I was going somewhere that I'd never been to, uh, just run a lot of laps at that track, especially the road course stuff, you know, watching races, watching video, watching in-car camera, uh, get an in-car camera of a driver who won or run well and watch his video and listen to his throttle and listen to see his steering, what he's doing, what he's fighting and where he's lifting and things like that. I mean, that's all pretty straightforward stuff. I'm sure everybody's probably clued into already. 
Um, in terms of expectations, I mean, you're just going to put so much pressure on yourself. You're going to have this idea of where you really think you need to finish, should finish. Um, but basically, when we had practice, you could drive the car and go, okay, by the end of the, you know, by by the time the race is starting, I think this car is it can finish in X place, right? And if we finish better than that, that'll be good. If we don't finish as good as that, I'll be disappointed. Uh, that's how I usually did that, and I did that every weekend up through my entire career. I'd have an idea of where I thought the car could finish before the race started, and that would kind of be my target uh, for for being having some personal satisf- satisfaction uh, or being being happy about. Is that a word, satisfaction? It is now. (laughs) Being happy about what you did, right? Or being disappointed. So anyways, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to give anybody advice, but that's that's basically what I did. Without practice, I don't know how you do that. I think maybe in the first 10 or 15 laps, you figure out what kind of car you got and start thinking about where you think you should finish. Um, I I just did that. I couldn't. It was a habit of mine that, you know, I did. uh, And when, you know, when things go better than you expect, then it's a, it's a good feeling. Next question from Chase Briscoe. You can run any car at any track, and I mean, that's Chase it. Chase is a cup guy. So that's right. Well, I wonder if he's doing an Xfinity race. That's why he was able does to. Does it count? No, it doesn't count. Nope. If he's, one, if he's Sorry, a part-timer. Yeah. Nope. You can ask. I like <laughs> it. Right. I like it. I, I, like, I like this question. <laughs> yeah, I do too. You can run any car at any track, and that's it for the rest of your life. What do you pick and why? Probably uh, a late 70s car maybe the chevy laguna and probably you know there's a lot of tracks i'd love to go to once to try them see them uh texas world speedway and stuff like that but probably old atlanta mm. before the dog leg that's a good answer it looked like a lot of fun i could run it the rest of my life um yeah late 70s old atlanta all right next question from jesse little what was the most recent book you read i read a, I think the um, Gary Ballou book is the last one I read. Maybe hot I've, shoe, yeah, hot shoe. Maybe maybe I've read one since then, but I think it was uh, Will Cronkite. Yeah, book? I read some. I did read Will's book. So I read Will Cronkite's book. He was a car owner in the Cup Series in the seventies and worked on race cars. Great book. Worked with Dad. So there's a lot of that in there. So Will Cronkite's book and uh, Hot Shoe Gary Ballou's book. Two great books. Two great Gary's books. books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question from Tommy Joe Martins. Who was the guy that always raced you the hardest, but then was like buddy buddy, no big deal outside the race car? <laughs> Matt Kenseth. <laughs> so Matt, um, we were great friends, really good friends, and I like to think we still are great friends today. He gives me a hard time for for not staying in touch with him, but I haven't gotten a text from him in a while either. But um, he's that's his sense of humor. But we get on the racetrack, and, you know, five laps to go, three laps to go, we could be running for 15th, not, you know, and he will squeeze you off the corner. And I'll go up to him, I'll be like, man, I had to lift, you know, and that cost me like three spots that last lap. Thanks. And he's, and he's just, uh, he uh, doesn't apologize for it. <laughs> but, I mean, we would have a great friendship off the, off the racetrack, but when you were on the track with him racing, he was uh, he wasn't gonna do you any favors. You, know, you better not expect any. He didn't race dirty, and he didn't run. He didn't run into me, but uh, he was he was definitely racing, you know, for himself. Nothing wrong with that. 
Stefan Parsons, uh, what was the best fight you've seen at Hickory Speedway? Any fighting stories? Ah, oh, man, I, th- I think it was him I and mean, his dad. <laughs> I think that's why he brought that up. Oh. So I was at Hickory watching Josh <laughs> Berry race um, and William Byron. He used to race our late model. And uh, somewhere along in the middle of the race, uh, I guess he got, in a, he got in a little dust up on the track, and I saw, I mean, literally like three haulers down, there's Phil Parsons duking it out with some guy. They're wrestling around, just a little short little hustle. And uh, it was funny, man, because I was, I was, you know, you wouldn't think Phil Parsons would let himself go to that space. He went to that place that night. Phil did. Yeah, he did. Wow. That but, would be fun to watch. I don't know. I've, I've not seen many fights at the racetrack, but that was one I witnessed. It was a, it was a quick, but it was aggressive. All right. One more um, from Brandon Brown. When you raced road courses, did you change your hand positioning on the steering wheel, or did you still keep them together? I need to watch. I think I probably kept them at like, you know, 10 and 2. I need to watch because I don't know. Because I don't know I'm doing it. I don't know really when I'm driving. I don't really pay attention to anything I'm doing. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't do that, Mike. Um, but on the ovals, so on the ovals, he's talking about this. So Mark Martin used to do this. But um, I, uh, when I turn the wheel, I move. Basically, I kind of drive like this on the straightaway. And then when I go into the corner, I move my right hand to to my left next to my left hand and pull the car like this, steer the car like this in the corner, and then back to here on the straightaway. I mean, even at a short track, like over and over and over. And it just I don't even I'm doing it I'm doing it unconsciously. But at the um, unconscious, uh oh, <laughs> that's trouble. Sub, subconsciously, what is the word I'm looking for? Maybe instinctually. Instinctually, <laughs> he's out, y'all. <laughs> he's out. I'm not unknowingly doing it. So, anyways. I got. I know what you meant. Yes. Brandon Brown also had a question for Water Cooler Dale. Oh. He wanted to know. <laughs> which was hilarious. He's who awesome. Do you, who do you gossip about the most at Junior Motorsports? That was Ooh. a question for Water Cooler Dale. We, we used to be... used to be Steven Steffen because he was always giving us something to watch on uh, the... Uh, the security cameras. That's right. Yeah, that's always, right. He was always running into something, crashing something, <laughs> doing something that was going to end up on the uh, end of the year video at Christmas party. Um, Martin, maybe. Who do we gossip the most about? I mean, Martin. Anytime there's an IT failure, like our internet slows down, and we go look for Martin, he's maybe. on a sailboat. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I probably gossip the most. I mean, the most I'm talking, the most people, that, the most I talk about, the most person I talk about, the you know, is probably drivers. Like I'm right. always talking to Kelly, or LW, or or Ryan uh, Pemberton about our drivers, and it could be any of them. Some, and then crew chiefs are right below that, right? Um, just trying to you know keep the harmony and what's going on, what guys need, what they need from me. Um, how people are doing, what the people's attitudes have been, how this driver's doing, where's his head at, that kind of stuff. Great questions. Appreciate everybody. Uh, appreciate all the Xfinity drivers being a part of this, man. You know, guys got things to do and they're busy. Uh, so thanks for uh, thanks for chiming in. Thanks to Xfinity for supporting this part of the show. Ask Junior on the Dale Junior Download. Well, that part of the show seems to always go by too quickly, Mike. Yeah, it does always seem to go too quickly, but not nearly as fast as Xfinity XFi. Well, Xfinity XFi is more than just fast, Mike. It's also reliable and powerful, 
meaning everyone can do more of what they love with faster internet. That it is. With Xfinity XFi, you can do more of what you love with faster internet. You and your crew, you can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage. It delivers the speed your devices need. And remember, everyone, send your Ask Junior questions to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Before we hit the road, thank you, Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brett Griffin is in the house making a guest appearance on the Dell Jr. Download, I think. And if you're listening, make sure you listen up. Hey, it's TJ Majors, and we have a new episode of Door Bumper Clear out right now, breaking down the races from Sonoma and Mid-Ohio. What's up? Freddie Kraft here. We talk Ross Chastain taking a shortcut, Ryan Priest pulling out on the track in front of everybody coming, A.J. Allmendinger's three-wide restart move, and much more. Including our crazy fans showing us lots of love on what started here on the DJD, but is now on DBC Reaction Theater. That's my favorite part of the show, obviously. Go listen to Door Bumper Clear right now, available wherever you get your podcasts. Are you sure that's your favorite part? It's always my favorite part. <laughs> it's been pretty sucks. good for me here lately. <laughs> as soon as Joey nudges somebody, bumps somebody, we do something, it'll so go the, right so, back. So this week. I hope. I hope it's for a million dollars, too. Thanks to Ward Burton. Yes, Ward was great. I love that guy. Yeah. He he was awesome, and uh, he straightened out a lot of things that Jeff had incorrect. I was really glad that he was able to come in here and straighten out some of that stuff that Jeff Jeff Burton was just kind of all over the place. Really I, confusing. That's, that's not how I took it. I oh, took it as the, whatever Jeff said. I'm just so thankful that Ward come in here and set the record straight. I think Ward looked at it as an opportunity to kind of mend some and, fences. Yeah, Jeff just screwed things up sometimes. Yeah, so he's your colleague. Don't say oh, that about sorry. him. <laughs> Anyways, you guys, I hope you enjoy the show, and uh, we'll see you next week. This bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.